0: Amazing Grace Kona welcome you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. We're going to be in Psalm 34. This is a psalm of David. Now, David was the young boy who fought Goliath, and then later God would anoint him to be the next king. Saul was the king at the time when David took on Goliath, and In 1 Samuel, from chapters 17 to 22, David starts winning all these victories, and he starts coming back from the victories, and the gals are singing, Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his tens of thousands. And all of a sudden, boy, Saul was like, after that song, Saul was like, we got to figure out a way to get rid of this kid. And so he put him commander of a thousand men, and basically sent him out to war, hoping that will get him into the heat of the battle and nix this kid. Which is ironic that David will use the very same thing to do to Uriah, the Hittite, who was Bathsheba's husband. But the story I'm going to share with you about the surroundings of Psalm 34 come to us. It's a psalm David wrote after God delivered him from the hands of Achish. Achish was the king of this place called Gath. Gath was one of the enemies of Israel. Now, David had been doing really well up to this point. But this is 1 Samuel chapter 21. And I just want to read you a little of the background of what we're going to study in the psalm so you know why is he writing this beautiful psalm. But it'll mean a lot more to you when you know the background. The background was David had been fighting for the Lord. But at this point, it says David, he had Saul coming after him. David perceived that Saul didn't like him. And so... David has to flee. Just so you know, this is going to lead to the psalm we're going to study, is David is on the run. And when he goes on the run, when he gets to Aish's kingdom, they tell the king, hey, we got this fellow from the Israelites, this David, who is a great warrior of theirs. And they report to the king, and they tell him that this is the one that they sing the song, Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his tens of thousands, and so Achish is like, "Why are you guys telling him this?" He's not going to want me around. And so we read that David was afraid. This is a psalm. What well, we're going to say that was written because David faced fear. So, what's David do in great fear? Now, this is something none of you have ever had really great fear. You would never think of doing this, I'm sure. But David. Having great fear, it says, verse 13 of 1 Samuel 21 says, So David disguised his sanity before them, and he acted insanely in their hands. And he scribbled on the doors of the gate, and he let saliva run down in his beard. And ache, he said, Do I need more madmen? Come on. Should I let this guy come in my house? Get him out of here. Well, verse 1 of chapter 22 of Samuel says, So David departed from there and escaped the cave of Adulam. and when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down to him there. It says in verse two, everyone who was distressed, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented, they also gathered to him, and he became the captain over them. Now there were about four hundred men with David. This would be a demotion. You just were fighting for Saul. You had a thousand trained soldiers under you, and now. You're fleeing for your life from Saul and your family finds out you're hiding in the cave there and they come down to you. But also, who else do you get? Now, this is a great way to start your congregation off. Everyone who's in distress, everyone who's in debt, okay, everyone who's discontented. He's the leader of the discontents, of the broke. They're not just broke, they're in debt. These are all the guys that gather to David. How would you like to have 400 unhappy men, the 400 discontent ones, and you get to be their leader? Now, this is the group that gathers to David. If I read to you a little bit more, what will happen is David will wind up going to battle with these guys because there's going to be a an enemy that comes. David's going to have to go fight against them. And, and David's men, they were such nice fellows. But At one point, they're going to be like, we should kill this guy. This is all the way to the end of Samuel, but in 1 Samuel 30, when David went and the Amalekites had come in and basically pillaged and took David's wives and took off with them. And David said, okay, a couple of you guys, you guys stay here. The rest of you guys come with me. And they went off and they fought and they fought the Amalekites and David beat them. And it says in verse 22, Then all the wicked and worthless men amongst those who went with David, What? Such nice words of his followers. All the wicked and worthless men that were in his group, they said, Wait a minute. Because they did not go out with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except to every man his wife and his children. They can have them and let them lead them away and depart. But David said to them, You must not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. For he who has kept us and delivered into our hand the band that came against us. And who will listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall be the share of him who stays by the baggage. So their share shall be alike. From this day forward they made a statute, an ordinance for Israel, that whoever goes out to war... And whoever stays back to guard the camp, when they get the spoil, they divide it equal. Because the guys that went out to war were going, we get to keep all the stuff. But they were fighting to get back their stuff. They had had their wives taken in that skirmish. And so they got their wives and their children back. But it just shows you how nice the fellows were. This group that had gathered to him, they were the misfits. David was, well, the Old Testament version of of Robin Hood only fighting for good and his merry men were not so so merry now this is what david has just done david has been going through this season of life where god has anointed david to be the next king god anointed david to be the king he had the prophet go and anoint him but saul did not like this saul was the king at this time and saul was like i just want to get rid of david i want to kill this kid if you want a good bedtime read Just pick up right here, 1 Samuel 22, and just read the next eight, nine chapters to the end of the book of of 1 Samuel. It's amazing, the stuff that David goes through in this little season. I mean, it's nice because the Bible compresses. Sometimes we need a little compression of time. When we think, God, you're not working, you're taking way too long, you should hurry up. The beauty of reading the scripture is that we get somebody's lifespan shrunk down to a couple chapters and then we look at it and we go wow look what god did and but we don't count that there was all those years of in between dribble coming down his chin and scribbling on the gate cuz he's afraid to fighting battles against other enemies and he's got to fight all these different lords of the philistines well saul will be like i can't seem to get rid of this kid so if i can't take him out this way Maybe I'll use a different tactic. I'll tell David, you can be my son-in-law. That's it. David's like, what kind of dowry could I give to the king? And Saul, he was like, well, how about just give me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines? Go kill a hundred of my enemy for me and bring them this day and I'll give you my daughter. And Saul, it said, was planning that his daughter would be his inside spy. That she would be with Saul in his way of, honey, you're going to look after your dad, aren't you? Tell me what David's up to. He's actually plotting a trap to get David. But David, he just goes and says, okay, you want 100 Philistines? 100 foreskins? He comes back with 200, double. He goes, I'll double that. David doubles it and gives it. And Saul, well, we read that Saul, he knew that the Lord was with David. Even though his plan was to take out David this way, he thought, if I could just get David to fall somehow before his enemies, then I get to stay king. But you know, when God wants you to not fall, when God wants you to stand, even if the king is plotting against you, the reason I'm pointing this out is, this is the circumstance behind the psalm we're going to read. Let's look now at Psalm 34, where we sang this very first four verses, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul, it says, shall make its boast in thee, Lord, and the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Now, O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and the Lord heard me. He answered me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. Did David have fears? Sure. When we sing that psalm, you are my hiding place, you always fill my heart with songs of deliverance whenever I am afraid. Well, David had things to fear. He had the king after him. He had his own not merry men after him at one point. They all want to kill. This is bummer about being David is at some point, everybody wants to kill David. I don't know if you noticed that in the story, but next time you read through Samuel, just Say, Lord, make my eye go to the spots where somebody wants to kill David. Just out of curiosity. Did it happen just once? Remember, I told you, we got his whole life compressed down into these pages. We got the highlight version. This guy, if you read the highlights, he's got a bunch of people that want him dead. And he has a calling from God to be the next king. Nothing like having a calling from God to do something special and then have a bunch of guys that want to kill you because you're called by God. Now, David was a man acquainted with fear. And let me show you what he writes here in verse 5. They looked to him and they were radiant. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried to the Lord and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him. And rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Some people are very familiar with that one line of this psalm taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I love to use the example of going to Costco when it comes to that idea of why do they give out samples at the end of the aisles when you're going around Costco and they start handing you little niblets of this and that here try this sausage or try that or and you're walking around some people just tell me so they can get their lunch you don't think those guys are giving that out for no reason do you but see that person who's handing out the samples they know that you can never have a craving do you know it's impossible to crave something that you've never tasted it just doesn't work that way we only crave things that we've actually had before Let's just pick the Thanksgiving holidays or anything what you think, well, but we got to have this because that really makes it the Thanksgiving meal. If we don't have this particular dish and you really can't crave one of those dishes unless you have had it, unless you've tasted it already. It's the way we're wired that we don't really crave anything what we haven't tasted. But if you get to taste it and you see that it's good, And you go back and taste it again, and then again, and then you're hooked. Yet David would pick this thing that we described, this thing with our taste buds that drives us to want to have certain things over and over, certain things that are special to us, like that one particular dish at that one particular time because it's special for that time. What's David say about the Lord when people say, I don't know about this God stuff. I don't know if he's even there. David would say to you, have you tried him? Have you tasted of the Lord? David had tasted of the Lord. David knew that God's angels had protected him. But I like the next part of the very same verse. They only quote half a verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. They leave out the second half of verse 8. The second half says, how blessed, how happy is the man who makes the Lord his refuge. And even a poor man can cry out to the Lord. And David says he knows the Lord will save him out of all his troubles. By the way, some people say, do you really think angels, God's angels look after us? Where do you get that in the Bible? I said um, from the Psalm, Psalm 34, verse 7. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And it says, and he rescues them. Okay, wait a minute. We got an angel of the Lord... Who wants an angel of the Lord to camp around you and rescue you? And David's going to go on and tell us some things that God does for us that follow him. There's some beautiful things. David knows firsthand, what does God do for me when I'm following him? Let me show you what David says. In verse 9, he says, So, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, everyone that fears the Lord. There is no want. There is no want for the one that fears the Lord. Young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord, David says, shall not be in want of any good thing. If you fear the Lord, you don't have to worry. God will take care of giving you every good thing you need. And verse 11, he says, come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you of the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life? and loves length of days that he may see good. Anyone here want to live a long, prosperous life? This is what David's crying out. Anyone, of you young people want to have a, a long, fruitful life and see long length of days and see good in your lifetime? David says, here's what you do. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And the eyes of the Lord, are toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. I want to encourage you to highlight verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. This makes me give all the motivation I need to want to be right. Righteous means right in God's sight. By the way, I'm not righteous because of my goodness. The Bible says we are righteous because of what Christ did on the cross for us. So my righteousness The Bible says it's as filthy rags, but my righteousness in Christ. The Bible says, though my sin be as scarlet, he has made me white, white as snow. Because of Christ. I want to be the one that is righteous in his sight because the ones that are righteous. Well, it says God's eyes, the Lord's eyes are toward us. Isn't it nice to know the Lord is looking after you? His eyes are upon you. David's saying, when you do righteousness... You got God's attention. His ears are open to your cry. Sometimes people tell me, well, I prayed, but I didn't get no answer. I don't think God's listening. I got news for you. The Lord listens. And now let me show you what David says. When his ear is open to our cry, the face of the Lord is against the evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. It says the righteous, they cry, And the Lord hears them, and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, David says, and he saves those that are crushed or contrite in spirit. Many, he says, are the afflictions of the righteous. You might as well highlight verse 19, because I know nobody likes it, but it's a good one to know that it's really in the Bible. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But make sure you highlight the whole verse because the end of the verse says, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. You might have a lot of afflictions that you face, but David says the Lord will deliver you from not some of them or maybe a few of the big ones. He says he will deliver you from all. Now, why would David say God delivers you from all your afflictions? Is he speaking from firsthand experience? Does he know How many times God has delivered him from all of his afflictions, all of his troubles? He's like, guys, this stuff works. And if you don't believe it works, the people who tell me, I don't know if this really works. I said, have you tried it? No, I never tried. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? No, I didn't do that. Well, how do you know? Do you think that God goes, oh, I can't do that? We forgot to tell people God is real. He's alive. He's a living God. And he knows everybody's hearts. He knows that, everybody's circumstance. He knows everything going on. And we need to encourage him to go to him. No matter what the affliction is. Go to him and say, I've got this problem. Lord, you do something about it. Because the one who calls upon the Lord, will the Lord save him? Yeah. David says, he keeps all of his bones. and Not one of them is broken. Verse 21 now. The evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous, it says, will be condemned. In verse 22, but the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. If you make God your place of refuge, you put your trust in the Lord, guess what? You will never be condemned. God will never condemn you when you put your trust in him. He's there. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to to save it. He's our savior. And David, David knew how much God had saved. He's like, guys, don't worry. The Lord redeems your souls from every single trouble. He'll take care of you. He's telling the people, the Lord is the redeemer. He's our redeemer. He's our refuge. We can put our trust in him. He'll never condemn us. What a awesome thing that he would come to understand from all of his afflictions. I mean, he had afflictions. For extra credit, just read a little of Samuel tonight. When you're going to bed, just start there at chapter 22 and read just a few chapters into it and see if you see any afflictions that David faced. See if there's any circumstance you'd like to trade him for a day. I'll go back and do this day for you, David. You come out here and, and live for me. I mean, I don't even think we'd get anybody to do it. Like, here, David, it's okay. You come work my remote and sit in front of my TV and you live my hard life that I have in this century. And I'll go back there and I'll be on the run from Saul and I'll have your enemies chasing you and I'll be hiding in the cave with the 400 discontent guys that are all a bunch of crumbs and broke. They're all broke. Yeah, I'm going to go hang. I'll trade and they'll all be looking to me to be their leader, their great leader and then when I don't do it exactly the way they want and they all want to kill me, I'll say, let's trade back. I want my remote back. I'm going to just go back to watching TV. You know, it's funny that the guy that would come to have the deepest understanding of how God is a comfort and a refuge, a one who looks after us, one who puts his angels to guard us. How come he knows that? Because he had to sit in front of the TV all day and have a really hard day. I had to get up and walk all the way to the refrigerator and pull out a meal and pop it in the microwave. And he would just laugh at how easy we have it because he had it tough. But see, the ones that have had it tough, funny how the ones that have had really hardship, how real the Lord is to the ones that have had a tough life. It's those tough times that let us know how Great, he is. And we think God is just not hearing our cry. You're not there, Lord. I'm in affliction. And David says, I'm telling you. Because David knew hiding in the back of a cave when Saul comes in and is relieving himself, and David's sitting there with a knife, and his men are going, Kill him, kill him. That's the guy after you. I won't raise a finger against the Lord's anointed. So he takes a little cuts a little swatch out of Saul's robe. And he waits till Saul leaves the cave and gets down towards the valley. And he comes out of the cave and says, hey, Saul, you determine whether I'm really a bad guy against you. Like you're telling everyone. He said, who am I? I'm like a a flea on a dog. I'm nothing. He said, but just so you know my heart, that I'm not against you. If I wanted to kill you, I could have killed you. Just to let you know, send one of you guys up here. Tell them where'd this come from? And he hands him the piece of cloth that he had cut. Now, can you imagine when that servant runs back down to Saul? Here, king, here's what he said to show you. And it's a piece of the fabric from the back of the king's robe. And the king, it must have been lights on. You were that close to me. You cut that out without me knowing. You could have killed me. David says, that's right. And Saul, it says, went on his way. He said, you're more righteous than I am, David. You're more upright. This is why David said, better to be upright. You want to have a good long life, you want to be blessed, just do what's right. Keep your mouth from speaking lies. Keep yourself from doing evil. Do good and seek peace and pursue it. And you'll have a long blessed life. And you'll get a God who looks after you and even puts his angels to encamp around you to make sure that you're okay. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.